1: Okay. Question for you. When it comes to work, do you really care about being more productive or is the real goal to get all the important stuff done, but in a way that actually gives you back more free time to do the things both in work and life that you're genuinely passionate and excited to do? Because these things, productivity and generating free time, they're not the same. Sometimes we talk about productivity as if it's the end goal. It's not though. The real goal is what it gives us if we do it right. And many of us don't, which begs the question, are all those productivity methods and tools and hacks and strategies actually working for you? Are they giving you back your life and the free time to choose what matters most? Even if it's just taking a nap or playing or spending more time doing whatever it is that you wanna do, This is where we're heading in today's provocative hot take with Spark Brain Trust regular, Jenny Blake. Jenny is a podcaster, career and business strategist, and an award-winning author of three books, Life After College, The Groundbreaking Pivot for Navigating What's Next, and her recently published Free Time for Optimizing What's Now. And today we're going on a myth-busting journey taking a bit of an ax to old school ideas of productivity and efficiency and effectiveness and sharing powerful new insights and practical tools from her body of work designed to not just help you become more productive, but to literally create a volume of free time you never knew was possible. We're going deep into the land of systems and processes and automation, but in a way that you've never really thought about before. Jenny offers helpful approaches such as having Do not schedule time blocks, experimenting with asynchronous communication tools, or looking at how a rolling agenda doc can save you time and bring less friction to a meeting. Jenny also reminds us that free time is not about floating through life as if on a perpetual vacation. It's about optionality, the ability to choose when you work with whom and on the projects that really most excite you on the work that you and only you can do and want to do. It's about moving from friction to flow through the power of focus and smart systems. As always, we hope you enjoy this Spart hot take on what it means to reclaim your time and reimagine how you live and work. And we hope it encourages you to experiment with what might work for you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spart. Danny Blake, it is so good to be hanging out with you on this special episode of Sparked. We call these Sparked Hot Takes because unlike our episodes where we have a listener sharing a question and a scenario and a story and we kind of dive in, these are where we focus in on one particular area or topic, topic of the day, topic of your expertise in this particular case, and we kind of do a bit of a hot take on that. And I'm excited to dive in because this is a topic that, well, I think it's been talked about so many different times because, you know, if you ever ask any human being what they want like more of, it's generally like an extra hour in the day or an extra day in the week and stuff like this. This whole idea of what is often called, quote, time management. And as we dive into what it is and what it is and, and offer some ideas and strategies and thoughts, let's start out a little bit with a little bit of myth busting here. And also um, exploring, even when we talk about that phrase, time management, it seems like that alone, according to your lens, the Jenny Blake lens um, on free time is a misnomer,
0: And I didn't realize that. So it's been almost exactly a year since Free Time, the book, came out, which is wild. Time is flying. And it kind of bothered me when I would hear people describe it as a time management or productivity book. And I thought, why do I have an aversion to that? It seems obvious. Time, free time. It's obviously about time management. And yet, as you said, there are some myths and some misnomers More than anything, just the phrases, time management, and productivity give me hives. (laughs) So I was noticing, what is this averse reaction that I have to these words? And maybe they've just accumulated so much clutter over the last decade or two. To me, time management is managing, almost micromanaging your time to be maximally efficient. And are you making the most out of every single hour and minute of every single day? And is your calendar blocked out precisely to indicate exactly what you should be doing at the next minute and now the next one after that, down to exactly precisely what time you're going to shower, what time you're going to have coffee with your spouse, and what time you get to sneeze, okay? So time management, I feel, gets stressful because to me, time is still in a box. And even productivity is how do we produce more in less time? My interest and what became clear to me only when trying to understand why these phrases annoyed me, my passion is helping people set their time free. What I mean by that, it's really having a systems thinking mindset so that you take small steps today that free your time far into the future. And the way to set your time free is not just to get better and faster at doing the same things, it's to actually put systems, process, filters, boundaries in place so that you make a decision once. You implement some kind of time tool is not even the right word, time practice, time habit that you don't even have to think about it again that's what interests me and to me that's what really creates a snowball of free time that grows and grows and grows into the future that doesn't just run us into the ground
1: yeah i love that distinction and and i'm raising my hand because i'm as guilty as any with the whole filling my schedule like i think time like this time management thing is all about well, I've only got a certain amount of hours in the day. I have enough work on any given week for three of me. Um, And how do I like structure it so I can live a life? I can honor my health. I can honor my relationships. I can honor. And so, so much of my focus in the past has been on um, time blocking and scheduling and penciling everything in. I haven't penciled in sneezes in the past, (laughs) but I, I have blocked out almost everything else that you could imagine. And what tends to happen when I do that is, you know, it's always based on your best estimate of how long you think something's going to take. And then you get into it and you're like, oh, like I blocked out an hour and this could have been five minutes, or I blocked out five minutes and this actually requires half a day. And you end up with all these surprises. And not only have I found that a lot of times, and I've been estimating and trying to do this for decades now, it always it never quite works but the all the other thing that i that i found is that i found uh, i use the word brittle um when i describe yes. my schedule sometimes so there will be times where i am so scheduled i'm so hyper scheduled i literally open my eyes and there's something on my calendar from the minute i open my eyes to the minute i close them at night and granted some of that is also things like meditation or walking in nature but there isn't an unblocked like unit of time on my calendar. And as much as I build space and freedom into it, I also look at it. And sometimes I just feel the sense of my schedule is just brittle. Like it, it feels like it could just break or shatter at any given moment in time. There's not enough room to, to breathe, to move things, to adapt when I realize, oh, like this actually has to it's going to take a lot longer or a lot less, or something completely new drops into my orbit that actually takes priority. And then everything and every every dependent action and task after that, like, gets messed up. So I love the notion of sort of like zooming the lens out and, re- and re-examining, say, okay, so we're not necessarily saying throwing that entirely out. Um, there's certain things that like I like to have, but. What you're talking about is just an entirely different set of ideas and practices. It's looking at all the different things that we do and that consume our time and energy and effort and saying, how can we take these and reimagine them in a way where we do them once we learn what we can rather than me trying to describe this, actually take me deeper into what you actually mean by, okay, so let's look at this differently.
0: I can relate to so much of what you said about that brittle calendar. My friend Sarah Young calls it a calendar filled with tiny boxes that she would get that allergic feeling because she would look out at the week and it's just the researchers call it time confetti. You just have a thousand tiny boxes on your calendar and that's where the Sunday scaries or case of the Mondays comes from. To me, it, when it's not only brittle that if you get sick or some, oppor- it, maybe an exciting opportunity comes up, you can't really take it without a whole cascade of dominoes falling or having to be redistributed. But the other thing is that it's a sense of constriction. There's no flow, there's no serendipity allowed because it's so tightly calibrated. And I want to say for anybody who really detailed time maps work, don't change it. If it's working for you and you feel joyful and spacious and abundant with your time, no need to change it on our account. I just noticed that when I worked in corporate, I would look at my calendar. I had what I called a brick wall of meetings. And then when I went out on my own over a decade ago, I did it again. I still created a brick wall of meetings. And it was only when I was working on free time that I realized Just like we have a relationship to money that we often inherit from our family of origin and society at large, I had an inner time blueprint that when I was a kid, I was the latchkey kid. I grew up in San Francisco till I was 12. And part of my childcare was going to one activity after the next after the next. So. My stack, my schedule was full from going to school to then going to ballet, piano, gymnastics, tap until my mom could pick me up after work. So then, as an adult, I just kept recreating that. And even when I had full autonomy over my time, I did exactly what you said, JF. I just filled it wall to wall. And I was constantly feeling a sense of time scarcity. I felt constricted, I felt anxious. And to be honest, some days I wake up and I have a ton of energy for meeting with people and having things on my schedule. And sometimes I have none. And what has been a lesson for me is building the muscle of margin, building spaciousness. And it's almost, we know the phrase, nature abhors a vacuum. I think calendar tools abhor a vacuum too (laughs) because it's so easy, no matter what you try to block off and keep for yourself. I'm often the first one ruining my own parameters or boundaries and allowing things to get scheduled. I've gotten much better at this over the years. But I used to be the first one to fill things back up and say, well, why not? Oh, I'll just squeeze this in. And when the day comes, I'm utterly miserable. So it's a real skill to learn how to leave a sense of spaciousness. And that does not mean that we're not getting work done. It's the opposite. It's actually so that we can do much more of our best work because we have these big blocks of unscheduled time where we can flow with it. And the mindset shift is that it's okay to leave my schedule unblocked. I mean, can you imagine? So I would encourage listeners to just think about first of all, what is your relationship to time? Do you feel crunched and like you never have enough? Or does it feel flowing and spacious and abundant? And it's a spectrum, and it obviously changes as we go through different stages of life. If you have young kids, your relationship to time is gonna be a completely different. Let's say if you have a newborn baby, than it is when your kids are out of the house. So acknowledging that, there's still probably room to look and see what percentage of any given week do you have filled, quote, wall to wall? Is it 80% like Monday through Friday? It's that brick wall. What would it look like to reduce what's on the calendar by 20%, 30%? Could some of those people wait? I had to realize how often I had a sense of false urgency about who I needed to make time for and when. And I found that most people don't ask why you say you're not available that day. They don't care if it's two weeks out. So few of what we work on on a day-to-day basis is truly urgent. And the last thing I'll say is that I know when you work in a company, it can be challenging. The most challenging is when other people can add things to your calendar willy-nilly without even asking you, (laughs) or there's just a ton of recurring meetings, but it benefits everybody, if you can even be the one to pilot a no meetings day, or you can at least put a recurring do not schedule block on your calendar at the windows when you're at your creative, strategic, productive best, and make it so that by default, nobody can grab that time, they have to ask you and you would need to make an exception, which is obviously going to happen, but it doesn't become the default where all you're doing, I call it getting caught in the riptide of reactive work and almost the riptide of reactive
1: time. Mm, yeah, that all resonates really deeply. So if it's not about sort of productivity and time blocking and time management, a lot of what you're talking about requires you to really almost like audit. Like, what am I doing? What What actually matters and what doesn't matter? And what of what I'm doing is just, am I repeating the same thing or something that is similar enough that I've done 10, 20, 100, 1,000 times before? And then what about systems and automation? So like part of a lot of what, what I know your philosophy is like, look at all these different things and then start to ask the question, how can I build systems or automate processes that would effectively take a lot of tasks away from you? They would still get done, but in a way that wouldn't consume you. Yeah. So talk to me about systems, the idea of like integrating systems and processes in order to expand free time.
0: Well, you know, it's my favorite topic (laughs) under the sun. And even if you're somebody who thinks, oh, I hate systems, like that word makes you cringe, you think I'm not good at that with a little bit of awareness, again, this is you can build the muscle of free time. So I think of free time as a verb. It's not just what we do when we're not working. It is a verb. And can you get better at better at freeing your time? And the way to do that often is through systems and automation so that, again, you're not just trying to do the same things and do more with less. That creates so much stress. So I'll give you just a few examples. And I'm a big fan of batching the type of work that you're working on. So there's McKinsey research that shows that executives in a flow state are five times as productive. How do you get in a flow state? You don't get interrupted by pings and checking your inbox and meetings. So even if you block out three hours, but you're able to get in a flow state and tackle the most important project of the week, the month, the quarter, you will get five times more done in that one window. Similarly, there's a bunch of life admin. There's a book of that same name, Life Admin, that's really good, that we all probably hate taking care of. Can you batch it all together? Can you get it all done at the same time so it's not just hanging over your head? In terms of automation, here's an example on the home front. At various points, my husband and I live in New York City. We have for, I have for over 11 years. I go in waves of ordering way too much takeout. And then I experimented with those meal kits where the ingredients arrive in a bag and you assemble it. But they were going bad. We were throwing them out. So that's an example of friction. Something's just not working. I'm still too tired at the end of the day to cook whatever meal this is, even though it's been handed to me on a silver platter. So then we started piloting the pre-made meals that you just heat up. So we've done services like Territory and right now we're piloting Factor. We rotate them out because we kind of get sick of whatever one has to offer. But now I know some people are anti-microwave. At least when we're in a pinch, we can just pop something in the microwave for two minutes and it's done. And so having that service recurring, it arrives every Wednesday. It's a backup. It's not the only thing we eat, but it solved that problem of, Being too tired, not knowing what to make, not having the right ingredients, and then just defaulting to takeout, which is expensive. I often get just as sick of that. And sometimes it's not that good or it's not that good for you. Another example, a lot of my examples are on the home front because I find that that's the stuff that annoys me the most. So putting household products on subscription, like at what pace do you go through a tube of toothpaste? Okay, great. Put it on a four-month recurring subscription. Or do you have somebody who comes and cleans your house? If so, put them on the same day and time. Is it every week? Is it every two weeks? But anything you can do to reduce the friction of logistics and coordination, what can you put on monthly, On even if it's not monthly, what can you put on a recurring cadence that you have to actually intervene to stop the train, to take the train off the tracks, than you do to have it keep going and keep flowing? Because over time, those things add up and they reduce the cognitive load of just how many life and work browser tabs you have open at any given time so that you're more free to do the stuff you really wanna do.
1: Yeah, so I love those examples. And um, and what's kind of cool is that it's the type of thing where whether you apply this to work or to leisure or to home life, um, whatever it may be, because it all affects the the overall amount of you know, like available time that you have in the day, it's it's going to affect everything else. It's gonna create more space and all the other things. Um, Talk to me more about the notion of, I'd love an example of a task or a process or an activity that you do say at work that a lot of people do on a repeating basis where you could really just, you know, like really kind of zoom the lens out and say like, what am I actually doing? And that I keep doing over and over and over that I could figure out a way to potentially automate. So literally the next time I do it, I kind of never have to do it again.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Let me share one that's a hybrid that could apply to networking or colleagues at work. So sometimes people ask for a meeting because they want to pick your brain. I know we all hate that phrase, but it's true. And maybe it's a colleague, they want to know about something you're working on, or it's a friend of a friend outside of work, and they want to ask you about the company you're working at or the type of industry you're in. By far, the way that I have found to reduce the friction and get that off my calendar is asynchronous messaging tools like Voxer, like Marco Polo. And sometimes companies are sensitive about what you can do outside of their internal tools and software. But however you can answer their questions asynchronously, I find can be really helpful. So you could have a colleague, you could just say, My schedule's a little hectic, or even I've been totally honest and direct saying, I'm trying to leave my schedule as open as possible. Can you send me your questions and I'll answer in a voice memo? And we can just trade asynchronously. Sometimes the person making the request prefers that as well. They actually find, oh, that's easy for me too. In terms of tasks, I mean, one simple one, if you work, most of it's either are a manager or have a manager, and you're going to meet with them at some cadence. And so we did this at Google. I do this today in Notion. Have an agenda document for your next meeting that is always sitting there. It's always available. So as you have updates on work that's getting done or you have questions that you know for sure you want to ask when you're meeting in real time, you're always continually adding to this doc or a Notion file or whatever else you use. This document is shared. And sometimes that can also just reduce the friction of what did I want to tell them again or what have I gotten done? And it allows you to create enough written updates of what's obvious so that you can spend the time in a more meaningful way that you have with someone on bigger conversation or working through bigger challenges.
1: Yeah, I love that. So in your work or life, if I were to ask you, what is one thing that that you have done this to that has been the biggest lever to allow you to get more free time what would it be?
0: Probably writing books. (laughs) But in all seriousness, one example, again, on the home front is a guide to being a guest at our home, just like you would create if you were an Airbnb host. So maybe more and more people are creating these for that platform. But instead of texting your friends and your family, all the logistics, how to find your home, what's your address, what's the key or the password to get in, where are they going to find all the amenities, what's nearby, what are your favorite restaurants, create it once in a Google Doc, Share it with everybody who comes to visit. So, something like that, um, using Text Expander, software that saves, and Gmail can save canned responses now too. But, Text Expander, I have keyboard shortcuts that apply to links I want to send, my phone number and email when I'm filling out forms online, all the way to detailed multi paragraph canned or guided responses that I would send. So, guided responses can be super helpful on the work front. So, probably one of the biggest that I've done recently is not just work in my email, but on the process of email. I had a great conversation with Cal Newport, who wrote a whole book about this, A World Without Email. And he's really big on this too. Email is just a Sisyphean system. It's a never-ending, it's you're totally at the mercy of whoever feels like writing to you. And for me, it's been my biggest source of stress and guilt over the last 15 years. And the thing that helps alleviate that is that when I go into my inbox, I'm almost as well as being the person responding to things, I'm the watcher, the observer. And I think, what is gonna repeat here? What can I create canned responses for? Even creating labels. I have an assistant who helps with my email. Creating labels, like this is a task. My labels are really detailed. Please add this to Notion, <laughs> you know, or uh, her name is Faye, Faye to respond, Fay to draft, Fay to draft, JB to respond. Your labels can be as long as you want, as long as they're clear. And working on process for something that feels never ending like email can be really helpful because then that's a case where you are able to get better over time and reduce stress and reduce work for your future self, even if you don't eliminate it completely.
1: Yeah, I think email, you're not the only one who feels that way about email. <laughs> it is
0: What? What's your but, game changer? You asked me, but this is a big question. What's been one of your game changers?
1: Uh it's funny, I was I was just trying to figure that out. Um but um my game changer is a little bit different. And it's more about you talked in the beginning of our conversation around how much more efficient and effective and productive you are when you're actually in a state of flow. Hmm. And so for me, it's more about minimizing distractions and being able to spend the greatest amount of time just like in an immersive state when I'm doing the work and then complementing that with mindfulness and nature. So like my free time tech stack is flow meditation and nature. Mm, I love it. Because that. I find that 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 allows me to just get so much more done and understand what is the right thing to be done. It helps me discern where I should actually be focusing. And then when I choose to dive into something, it lets me actually do what I need to do at a higher level a lot faster than I could before. Um So for me, it's been less about process and automation. And part of it also is that very fortunate to have a team, you know, like with what I do. And so we have built substantial systems and process and process automation. I mean, for, you know, we produce two podcasts. On any given month, we have something like, Forty episodes in some some state of production. So there's a huge amount of systems and process and automation that happens. You know, in our editorial database, when I click something's been done, there are automatic notifications that go out to mm-hmm. the next person who knows what to do. And then when that's done, it's there's a huge amount of automation built into the production process behind the the media with, that we produce. So it's a blend of technology and also flow nature and meditation.
0: (laughs) I love that. And I know you're a big fan of doing walk-in talks, which I think you can do. Now more people are going into the office, but I guarantee the other person is probably going to be relieved as well. If you say, do you want to do this meeting as a walk-in talk, that they will probably say, oh, yes, I would love the oxygen and some movement. And what about your relationship to email? How have you, (laughs) that's always the thorn in my side, anything you've done to just reduce your anxiety at the sense that it's never ending and it's always there and it can eat up a lot of time?
1: Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, I'm the weird freak who tries to end almost every day at inbox zero. Wow. And of course, by the next morning, it's completely blown up. <laughs> but, but So I do two things. One is expectation setting. So I have like that, that, that vacation email, that autoresponder, that's on 24 seven, 365 days a year for me. And it basically says thanks so much for you know like your email. Um, uh, so excited to like know that you want to reach out. Um, because of the way that I work, and it, this this is roughly I'm not actually phrasing it. You know, I sort of like I really block off a lot of time, and but I want to make sure you're taken care of. So, and then there's a little bullet list under that. If you're calling about pitching a guest for a podcast. Here's who you talk to, if you're you know emailing about a piece, here's who you talk to, if you're press or media, here's who you talk to, if you're talking about business partnership, here's who you talk to, if you're talking about. So there are like seven or eight different things. and most of those things, those emails would come to me, and then if I didn't have that, I would basically just be forwarding it to those people anyway. So now what, what that allows me to do is that goes out automatically. People know exactly who they actually need to reach out to without me having to be involved at all. And so that then I can largely just, if those emails make it into my inbox, I either don't see them or they just get immediately deleted or moved in an automated basis through a filter to trash so that I don't deal with any of that anymore. And I just know that somebody else will. And I know that they have the instructions needed to get what they they were hoping for from me without ever having to actually talk to me because They didn't realize, actually, I wasn't the person for it. Mm.
0: And what about, do you ever get to the end of the day, you're tired, you've had a long day, calendar was full, and your inbox, knowing that you like to get to inbox zero, let's say it's more full than you have the energy for, and it's people that, there are your friends or your colleagues, you know, what do you do when you get overwhelmed and it's still all the stuff that got past the filters that's not clearly forwardable to anyone else?
1: Yeah. Um... If it's sort of like a 30 second thing or less, I'll generally respond to it immediately and just get it out. But it's similar to you in a batched way. Like I don't just do that all day long. Um, I'll do my work. I'll set aside 15 minutes, maybe at lunch to just knock out a whole bunch of short little things. If it's something that truly does require a more substantial response or it sets in motion a set of tasks or processes or work for me to do, then I have to sort of like take that as, you know, like a, a an individual scenario and figure out how to handle it Um whether I'm going to actually do it now. Um, and also I look at the time of day because I know that I'm more or less productive in different types of things at different times of day. And that's actually surprising because I learned that it's not the times that everybody thinks and it's not the times that even I think. So I, I if I'm writing, if I'm working on a big like piece of writing like a book, oddly, I tend to be able to drop into a pretty good writing zone between like three And six, that's the zone where almost everybody says, don't try and get anything really legitimately like creative or productive done. I'm not wired that way, apparently. (laughs) And everyone's like, those early morning hours are kind of magical. You wake up, the world's not up yet. I do my best work, my best writing, you know, like from five to eight or from seven to nine or whatever it is, I don't. (laughs) So it's very counterintuitive. So so I really had to run the experiments myself to figure that out because- I kept trying to force myself into the box of what everyone else says is sort of like Mm. the best times to do different types of things. And it was just never working for me. Um, So I've sort of like run a whole bunch of experiments to figure that out for myself.
0: That's a great reminder to just run experiments. Like sometimes we don't know, or you just know when something's not working. The other thing I wanted to ask you about before we wrap up that's on my mind around this topic is I'm just coming back from four days away, vacation, and I had the thought that I basically went crashing into the quiet time and then dreading my way back out. And I find that happens so often. I remember both when I'm working in corporate or taking even longer time off in my business, there's this mad dash scramble to prepare and double down and work twice as hard to get ready. And then you're so tired. I was so disappointed in myself this recent vacation because the first two days I just felt like a noodle (laughs) and it was only four days long. And then already on the plane ride back, I woke up that morning with so much anxiety. Like it wasn't really that restful because I was tired going in and anxious coming out. And that has happened to me whether I'm taking a four-day free time break or sometimes four months. And my body often... Needs and wants different things than my mind thinks. I think I'll go into the free time and be so rested and relaxed and energized. And maybe I'll create big things or I'll have the best time on this trip. And then what really happens is I'm like cranky. There's a children's book called The Grumpy Monkey. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just be a grumpy monkey or I'll be like disappointed or just tired from heading in. And I know you recently shared your experience of creating your sabbatical. Now that we're a couple months out from it, like, I know you had a similar experience to that. And I'm just curious either what you would do differently or is, the, is it possible to avoid crashing in to free time and crashing back out?
1: Yeah, I thought about that, that a lot. And I think so many people can relate to that experience of like, ooh, I've got this vacation booked in three months. And rather than taking three months to just slowly be able to actually really buy yourself the ability to like step out on the first day and feel at peace, We save it until the last couple of weeks or even the last week or the last couple of days. And then we just work nonstop to try and get everything done and all the systems set up and all the checks and the processes so that we feel like we can legitimately check out. And then we're just like, if we have a week off, the first three to four days, we're just recovering from the brutality of the couple of weeks leading up to actually buy ourselves that time. And then the last day or two you know, your mind is already like facing, like looking forward about what's to come and probably fearful of what's piled up since you've been away. So in a week, you effectively have like two days of actual <laughs> vacation. And, and it's such a common experience. Um, and for me, even though I took a month, a month long sabbatical, I had sort of like a macro version of that. You know, I wasn't expecting. So if, you know, like four and a half weeks, the first week we, we basically, I figured it would take me, you know, like I think it was about three months to buy the time. In largely in production. Like we produce at such an aggressive schedule for two different podcasts that, you know, Sparks is once a week, Good Life Project is twice a week. That alone on a normal schedule is a big, is a heavy lift along with running two companies. And then we had to accelerate that because we needed basically a full month of both shows entirely banked and fully produced and ready to go with all of the collateral around it. So it wasn't just me, it was the entire team to who like produces everything around it too. And... What I would say is, I feel like I actually probably started way too late in that process. Mm. I would probably double the amount of time in that to really prepare so that the lead up to it was much more humane for, uh, for everyone. Um, yeah, And rather than having to spend the first week just kind of recovering from how aggressive the months before were, I could have actually just kind of tipped into it. And woken up the next day and just felt pretty good because I wasn't stressed out and burned out and overwhelmed and mm. exhausted. I didn't, I wouldn't have needed that recovery time. So I think we underestimate, um, the amount of time that we might need and thoughtfulness and processing to really be able to fully experience that time as true free time, um, to direct ourselves as we want. And then I, I am. I'm genetically wired as a futurist, so it's really hard for me to not head to the end of anything and and be looking forward at what's coming down the pike. So I don't know how I solve for like you know like what happens in the last few days because I'm always looking forward. And thankfully, for the most part, when I look forward, because I have a lot of control over what I do and a lot of joy from it, you know, it's not necessarily a you know the Monday blues thing for me. It's just I know it's going to be a lot of work. Hmm. What about you? Yeah. Any any thoughts on like what you would do differently?
0: I love what you said about starting to prepare, give twice as much time heading in. And it, it, it is a mindset, at least an American perspective, of we need to earn our free time. We've got to earn it. We, like you said it got to buy the time. And in a real sense, you did with your podcast, just the nature of podcast production. I like starting my autoresponder early. So I noticed that if I started the autoresponder on the first day I was actually out, I was stressed because everybody who emailed me the day prior and the day before that Like I I was never able to get ahead enough because they would have been waiting a long time. So I started a couple days, if not a week early, and I tell in the autoresponder that I will be gone until a week after I'm actually back. So just like you said of setting expectations, that way emails that come in a week prior to me leaving, they don't expect a response. And then they also don't expect one until a week after I return. So I kind of buy myself this hidden time. When I have an autoresponder, I don't have mine 24-7, but when I do, I love the version of an autoresponder that says, if your message is important and you haven't heard back by X date, please resend your email. So the onus is on them, that if I don't get back to them when I return from my trip, again, with that one week post buffer, they should email me again. So it's on them. And that way I know that whatever did fall through the cracks, well, it said, contact me again. So if it's really important, they will. Another thing is, just recognizing how hard we all work and that to not expect myself to be blissed out on days one, two, and three of if it's a week long or even week one, if it's a month long, just to lower my expectations a little bit. And I find that it's just like how kids get sick when they come home from finals week in college. Like they come home to visit for Thanksgiving and bam, get sick. And that happens. Sometimes our body just knows, oh, now I can rest. Now I can relax. And we get sick or I, I will get like depressed sometimes. And it's just my body really needing it, needing that time. So I try not to make too many plans or expect too much of myself in the early part of a break of free time. And then on the way back, I try to be uber disciplined of not looking at a single thing while I'm gone. And not, and even I don't schedule anything for the day after I return so that I might be back in my home environment, but there's nothing on the calendar. So I have a day or two of reentry. And if I were taking a month away, I might leave a week of reentry. So back in my physical home and in my day to day routines, but nothing on the calendar. Cause I find that I get real cranky if I have to wake up very early the next day after time off and like, dive straight back in. Yeah, So that's something that helps me too, is having buffer on both ends.
1: And and some people won't have the ability to do that. We both like work for ourselves. Right. Um, so if you are somebody who's coming back to a job where you have like, you've got your two weeks and then you're coming back and you're like, you have to be in the office on Monday or like maybe not in the office these days, but like, you know, you're back on the clock um, on that Monday, maybe more attention or, or just really understanding, setting your expectations about how you're gonna show up maybe trying to arrange your schedule for the first few days so it's not packed wall to wall with meetings where you really have to be on.
0: Yeah. Or take, make sure that if you're going to fly home on a Sunday night, take Monday as a vacation day, if you can, if you can, Hmm. like, there's no reason we can't stagger just the psychological thing so that your first week back is actually shorter. You know, we all know we all love when it's a holiday or at least I do on a Monday. Um, But what if you took Monday, Tuesday as vacation days? And then even if you were lightly checking in and just seeing what's waiting for you, you're not actually full of meetings until the you know day three. And by then it's a short week. So I think that can help too.
1: Love that. Um, and I love all these ideas. Um, and I happen to know that you have this stunning book called Free Time that has, hey, v, like these are just like a handful of ideas. And I w- was so blown away. It's like a reference manual in our family, in our business, because oh it's just gosh, you keep going back amazing. and saying like, how there's so many ideas and so many tools and so many resources in how to reclaim a sense of free time. We're talking about systems and process and automation, all these different things. And people may be wondering, well, how do I do it? Like, where do I look? What are the resources? What are the platforms? What, it's, it literally is all there. So it's, it's an incredible resource. Any final thoughts as we wrap here?
0: Thank you so much, JF. That really means a lot. And uh, you were such a great friend and inspiration throughout working on it. Final thoughts. I would say don't be too hard on yourself if you feel constricted with your time. I love JFs. Call to action of just run small experiments. And honestly, if you just be an observer for the next two weeks, don't try to solve or fix anything. Just be an observer and notice what feels tight or stressful or has friction. And when are you happiest? When do you feel most free and have the most autonomy and flow and open to possibility? And if you can just observe, then you will start to get more and more creative about potential solutions. So you can then pick one Friction area, one thing that isn't working, and say, How can I, how can I improve this? But but specifically, what steps could I take now? Again, that would solve this into the future. Because that's where true free time really comes from.
1: Got it. Love it. Thank you so much. Thanks to everybody, our fantastic listening community for chiming in here. And we are excited to continue to share more deep dive, topic-focused conversations like this. I'm Jonathan Fields hanging out with.
0: Jenny Blake, thanks so much, JF. Thanks everybody for listening.
1: Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes. To get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkatype for free at sparkatype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.